We'll open up to John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. We're going to be looking at John 3, 16, all the way through 21. But we'll be spending the bulk of our time in John 3, 16. Because that verse is so familiar to so many people, inside and outside the church. If you at all grew up in the church, if there is any verse at all that you have committed to memory, more than likely this is the first one that you would have committed to memory. It's even recognizable by many people outside the church, although I think that number is beginning to dwindle somewhat. But it is a very famous verse, and with good reason, because it is a powerful verse. And if you are going to have one verse rattling around in your head, this is a very good one to have rattling around in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But as we dig into this, I want us to look at what does this mean? What's this relationship between God and the world? This week as we took Ainsley to the hospital and and hung out during their surgery and we went out for a bite to eat and then back waiting for news and running to get food, I I spent a lot of time on elevators. That just seems to happen when someone you love is in the hospital. Our hospitals are very interesting. You have to take elevators to get to elevators at times. Uh, It's very confusing. But there's these unwritten rules on elevators, right? You get in the elevator and you don't talk <laughs> to anybody at all. You don't make eye contact. That's rude, I think. I think it's part of that unwritten rule then that whoever owns the elevator is, is required to put something up in the elevator so that you have something to focus on. So whether it's a poster or a warning sign or, or the, the permit, you know, how many times have you read those things? Oh, they had it checked on January 1st, okay. And you're just something that you can look at because you're not supposed to talk to the people on the elevators, right? Is this fair? How many of you are that pe- person? You get on the elevator and you just strike up conversations. Anybody? A couple of you. God bless you. That's great. You make the rest of us really awkward, but thank you. <laughs> Breaking those social barriers. But, but think about it. When you get on an elevator, you have, with the other people on the elevator, you, you have a relationship you, you might call neutral. You don't know that person. They don't know you. Now, you might strike up a conversation. You might talk about the weather. It, it might be, you know, hey, something that they're wearing that's really nice. That would be more of women doing that. Guys, don't do that. That's awkward. Um, you know, sports game, maybe. Uh, just something, maybe something you find in common. But you basically, you have a neutral relationship. You have no reason to feel positive toward them, to have a loving, caring relationship. You have necessarily no reason to feel negative toward them, to hurt them or hate them in any way. But now imagine you're waiting for the elevator and the doors open and there's your best friend. And you haven't seen him or her in years and years. And you walk in and be very different, right? Nobody's reading the stuff on the wall. Then you're chatting. You're catching up. How's it going? How was your day? What have you been up to? That's a positive relationship. Now imagine, and fortunately this was not the case for us, but imagine you're at the hospital because somebody has hurt your child. And you're there because your child is getting the treatment that he or she needs. And and the doors open and there on the elevator is the person that hurt your child. 
That's not a positive relationship, is it? It's not a neutral relationship. That's a very, very negative relationship. And and I'm sure each one of us could have going through our minds in that moment, apart from the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, what might happen in that situation. But there's that animosity there. So now I want you to look back at this passage. Because the first phrase, for God so loved the world, really stands out to me. And, And I want us to ask ourselves, what kind of a relationship does God have with the world? Because if we can understand where John is coming from in this passage, I think we can see a depth to this verse that is easy to miss. I had a teacher in in college or seminary, I can't remember which, but this professor would say that reading scripture is like mining diamonds. I think I've shared this with you before. There are places in this world, you might be able to walk along the surface and your toe might catch on something and there's there's a diamond and ooh, that's wonderful. There's a, a richness there. You can pick up God's word, you can read it and get beautiful, wonderful truth out of it. But if you find a diamond on the surface, guess what? There's a lot more deeper down. He said, that's how God's word is. The deeper you go, the richer it gets. And so today I want to go deep, specifically into this one verse, but also the rest of this passage. Because I want to get past the fact that this is so familiar to us that we might almost block out the power of this passage because it's just too familiar to us. And so I want us to dig deep. So let me read for us verses 16 to 21, just to set it in front of us. Chapter 3 of John, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be plainly seen, or uh, seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, before we get into the text, we need to get into one, not incredibly important issue, but something I just want to get out of the way. Show of hands, how many of you in your Bibles have verses 16 and, and maybe the following, and they're in red text? Show of hands. Okay, how many of you have 16 and the few following verses in black text? Okay, interesting. What does the red text mean? Words of Jesus. So the question is, who's speaking here? Uh, And the truth is, people disagree on this. Now, for some of you, this is earth shattering. Wait a minute, John 3.16, some people think Jesus didn't say it. First of all, let me get something out of the way. Word of God. Doesn't matter who said it, okay? John chapter 1, guess what? Jesus didn't say that. John wrote that down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. So we're not trying to say this is or isn't the Word of God. That's not the question. It's just simply what's going on here. I said at the beginning of this series that John is unique to some degree. 
And that because he has lived so much longer than the other apostles, spent time in ministry, spent time teaching and preaching this stuff, he easily moves between sharing the history of what happened with Jesus Christ and sharing kind of a devotional or mini-sermon about that thing in order to help his readers not to miss what's going on. It's like this beating heart of John. Don't miss this. Let me explain this to you because I've talked with people just like you so many times and I want you to understand what's going on. The other thing we need to understand is there are no quotation marks in the Greek text. They didn't have them. They didn't exist. So any quotation is always a guess on the part of the translators as to whether it is a continuation of a quotation or somewhere the quotation ended. I tend to side with the NIV on this one. Uh, this is the ESV, I think, continues the quotation all the way through, I believe it's 21. I actually think that the quotation of Jesus ends at verse 15. And that verse 16 is John's commentary on what's going on. This should not change your faith in any way, shape, or form. You can think I'm a total idiot. That's fine. I don't care. Um, it really doesn't change anything, but it's going to come up in the sermon, so I want to get it out there. Let me just tell you why. Look at verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the, how does Jesus refer to himself? Son of man. This is Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Throughout these verses, Jesus is called the son of God. That was not a very typical way for Jesus to refer to himself, but it is a very typical way for John to refer to Jesus. Again, doesn't fundamentally change the passage, but if you pick up a Bible and one has red text and another one doesn't, I just want you to know why. On a different note, little soapbox here, I wish translators would get rid of red text altogether. Altogether, because all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I've heard people say, I just read the red letters. Don't. Don't just read the red letters. It's a quote that is attributed to Jesus. We believe that's what Jesus said, but all Scripture is God-breathed. If you're only reading the red letters, you're not getting the totality because Jesus himself was reading the rest of Scriptures and teaching on it. So, so I, I wish they would take that out because I feel like it gives more authority to these quotes of Jesus than all of Scripture. All right, I'll get off my soapbox now. What does it mean that God loves the world. So here's us walking along and, and our, our toe is caught on something beautiful. God loves the world. I don't have to explain that to you, do I? It, it's easily recognizable. We have a God who loves the world. But what I want to do is drill down into this and help you to see the depth of the meaning here for the Apostle John. What is the world? John does not use this word lightly. It comes up again and again, and it is always, almost always, negative in its use. That the relationship between God and the world is a negative one. Let me help you to see this. The first thing is that the world is desperately needy. It's not just, hey, maybe I'll trust God, maybe I won't. It's completely lost and completely needy. Look at John 3.19 says, this is the verdict. So this is later on in our passage. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The world is in darkness. 
Jesus, as the light of God, has come into the world. But even in that situation, the world says, no, I don't want it. The world is desperately lost in darkness. John chapter 6, verse 33. It's this beautiful statement as Jesus is the bread of life. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. But think about what that means. The world is starving for life. It needs Jesus Christ, the bread of life. It's another desperate need of the church or of the world. John 14, 16 to 17 talks about how the world is deceived. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. This is Jesus praying about his disciples to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. Do you understand John's picture of the world? This is not a neutral relationship. The world is desperately needy. But more than that, the world is actually against Jesus. The world has set itself up as Jesus' enemy. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They saw Jesus come. They knew he was supposed to come. Many of them saw that he was fulfilling these prophecies, but they still refused to acknowledge him as their savior. But it goes farther. John says in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, if the world hates you, again, this is Jesus speaking to his apostles, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world is in rebellion against God, in rebellion against Jesus, the Son of God. It acts as an enemy of God. And yet Jesus chose in that situation to come. In his prayer in John 17, he says this, As you, speaking to God, sent me into the world, I have sent them, his disciples, into the world. He says, I know the world hates me. I know that they have set themselves up as my enemies, and yet I have come to them. And he says to his apostles, and I believe to all believers, and I'm sending you into that world. Now go back to John 3.16. And read that phrase again. For God so loved the world. That world. That world that hates him. That world that is desperately lost and needy. That world that has set itself up as God's enemy, as the rejection or the ones who have rejected Jesus Christ. That's the world that this passage is saying God loves. This is not God looks down and sees all the earth and he just loves it. It's much more than that. It is that. But it's much more than that. This is God loving a world that has chosen to walk away from him. And how does he respond? He loves it. He loves the world. Now, does this mean that God's looking at the world and saying everything in the world is okay? Is he saying that all that rebellion is just okay? Is loving and acceptance of everything going on in the world and all the people in the world? 
Because I believe that's what our culture says today. To love someone, you are accepting and possibly even you have to go further, affirm what they do. That's what love is. And if you disagree with someone, you no longer love them. And yet look at the passage. In God, love and discernment are not mutually exclusive. God can look at someone. God does look at us and say, these things are wrong. They are of the darkness. They are evil. But I still love you. Doesn't make the wrong things right, but he loves us in spite of that. God can see and judge that someone is wrong and yet still love the person. The love does not remove the judgment. But the judgment also does not remove the love. And if I may, this is a lesson that as Christians we need to learn. On the one hand, some of our brothers and sisters, and I think we feel the pull on this at times, we say, well, we want to love the world, so we've got to quit talking about certain things as sin. But that's not what this passage says. God loved the world and yet still discerned, judged the world. We can't quit calling sin, sin, and think that we are loving people. But now let's go to the other extreme. Because I think this is probably more where we here would struggle. We look at the world and we say it's sinful and it's wrong. And look at these things that are going on. And we don't respond in love at all. We would say, well, because the world is wrong, we have every right to say hurtful, angry, awful things about it. And that's not loving. God shows us the world is messed up, but he loves the world. He loves the world. And love is a major theme in John. This loving relationship. One beautiful picture is here in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he brings in this relationship he has with God the Father. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He's saying, here's this relationship between me, God the Son, and God the Father. Think of the love that they have, if you can. Because it's beyond our comprehension. Here are two beings that know each other perfectly, whose will, heart, emotions line up perfectly. There is nothing hidden. It is a perfect love between two of them eternally. And then Jesus is saying, that love that we have, that's the love I want to share with you. That's the love I'm calling out to you to say, come, come into this relationship. Come into this love. In John 3.19, says this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness. See, our hearts are not neutral. They are turned against God. God loves the world. And he invites us into this loving relationship. But how? How does he do this? He does it through Jesus Christ, his son. The greatest, most loving gift ever given was that God looked at the world, sinful, lost, messed up, said, I love the world, therefore I am sending my son. Friends, this week, horrible news came out. Shooting in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 17 people lost their lives. A school 
Some say it's the fourth one this year. It's February. Do you need proof that the world is messed up? It's right there. And, and you listen to the, the pundits and the politicians or you know, Facebook people, and they, they go on and say, well, this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to happen. And some people are calling for gun control. And that's, I think it's a good debate. Some people are calling for, for mental illness training and counseling. It's a good debate. Some people are calling for more school discipline. Great debate. Parenting. Yeah, absolutely. But think with me for a second. Imagine, hypothetically, because I don't even think this is possible. But imagine there is one clear answer to all of those things. And imagine somehow our society got its act together enough to come up with an answer to all of those things and, and found that one clear answer on all of those issues. Guess what? The problem would not go away. Because all of those are symptoms. They're symptoms of a deeper issue. Imagine you went into your basement and you found a puzzle box. And and you thought, I'm going to do this puzzle. And you open it up and it's gotten wet. And the pieces are kind of mushy and the the printing's worn off half of them. And and all the little pieces are broken and twisted. And you lay it all all out on a, a table. You say, wow, this is really messed up. But I can fix it. Let's just move the pieces around. That's what we try to do in our world. Let's just move the pieces around and maybe it will look better. What we need are new pieces. That's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Not to just teach us to be a little bit better. Not to just point out where we're wrong. We'll get to that in a second. But to save us. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is why Jesus came. And the context here, which is exactly what Pastor Al preached on last week, the context is so important. In verse 14, it talks about just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And he talked about that. I listened to the sermon. It was a great job. Just a few things I want to fix here. But No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He He did a great job. But they were lost. They were dying because of their own sin. God was judging them and these serpents were crawling through the camp and biting them and they were dying. And God said, I will provide a way out. And he told Moses, put that snake on a pole and lift it up. And all they had to do was look. They had to quit trying to figure it out on their own and say, God has provided a way. I will trust in that way and I will look. And here what I see is the Apostle John saying, don't miss this. How much more so has God done that in Jesus Christ? In the lostness of this world, enemies of Jesus Christ, enemies of God, and yet God has sent His Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Well, now quickly, let's look at the rest of the passage. Verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And if I could also lump in 18 here, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
here again we see this unity between love and, and discerning truth. Some people will say, and they'll take the beginning of 17 there, and they'll say, see, God didn't send his son to judge the world, therefore we should never judge anything as sinful and wrong. We should just say it's all okay. Ever run into people like that? And, and we're criticized as Bible-believing Christians for saying there's right and wrong, where sometimes, I guess somebody in the media called us mentally ill. Okay. Why? But look at the passage here. Is that actually what it's saying? Because the, the, what it's talking about here is not that Jesus was just saying, oh, it's all okay, I'm not going to condemn you, and I'm just coming to save you. If you look at verse 18, what it says is, you're condemned already. The condemnation's already there. This was not a question of us sitting on a fence and maybe if we could do good, we could go to heaven and maybe if we keep doing bad, we'll go to hell. And, and Jesus is just coming and saying, hmm, you're over here and you're over there. This is, we're way over here. We're lost. We're desperate. I'll make sure I don't fall off stage. We're desperately hopeless. Some of you are thinking that he's going to fall off. Make for a good sermon. We're desperately lost and hopeless. We're gone. We are condemned already. Jesus didn't have to come in to condemn us. That's where we already were. He came to save us. And praise God he did. Because whoever does not believe stands condemned already. In this lost world that God so loves that he sent his one and only son We need to understand that there is a difference. There is something that makes a difference between those who stay lost and those who come to know God and have life. And that difference is in John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And people will say, well, that's just hurtful. How can you say this is the only way? How can you be so narrow-minded as to believe this is the only way of salvation? Our our daughter was diagnosed with a cyst in her neck. It's not cancerous. It's it's not going to hurt her. It's just weird. And we sat down with the doctor and we said, look, she's been through two surgeries already. And they haven't fixed the problem. Can we look at some other ways? And, and he spoke to some colleagues and he came back to us. He said, look, I, I talked with, you know, we could put these kind of radioactive things in and that might kill it, but it only has this percent. We could try this, we could try that. But at the end of the day, he said, look, this really is it. Now, could you imagine if we just came back to him and said, you are so narrow-minded. Who do you think you are saying that this surgery is the only way to solve this problem? He's going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is the only thing that treats it. This is it. There is no other solution. Could you imagine in Moses' day as they're dying by being bit with the snakes and and somebody says, hey, Moses just raised up a snake. All you got to do is look at it. Oh, that is just so narrow-minded. I'm going to look at his snake. I've got a snake of my own. Can't I just look at my snake? I mean, really, who cares? Well, you know, God gave that one. No, I'm going to do it my own way. I mean, I'm jesting, but that's the way we look at these things. God has given us his son. 
Only his son has gone to the cross in our place. Only his son has taken our sin upon himself. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 That's why it's only in Jesus. That's why it's only in trusting what he has done that we can be saved. Because he took our sin upon himself. The world is lost, stumbling, hurting, broken. But the remedy of Jesus Christ has been lifted up. Look to him. Trust in him. Believe in him. Even and especially in the midst of this fallen world. And then we come to the verdict. Verses 19 through 21. This is the verdict. And that word there is judgment. This is the judgment. It's it's even the same word as the condemnation. This is the condemnation. This is the decision on the world. Light has come, but people loved darkness instead of light. You see, people don't like the light. We would like to think with our own children, our friends, our family members, our neighbors, we would like to think that if we could just point out that the path they're on is bad and that God's path is good, that a light bulb would go on and they'll say, oh, thank you. I get it now. I'll follow Jesus. But if you've ever tried to share the gospel with an unbeliever, that's not usually how those conversations go. Why? Because it's not just about the actions that we do. It's about that our, the fact that our heart has been changed. Some of you might be here today, whether you've accepted Christ or not, but, but maybe you're thinking, well, I know there's these things in my life that are bad. But I choose to do those. And at some point, I'll just choose. And, and I'll choose differently and things will be okay. Let me warn you, in that moment, you're going to find that it's no longer a choice. You're going to find that your heart loves that thing. And that it hates everything that says that that thing is wrong. It despises everything that tries to put something in its place. Your heart is moved in that direction. And you won't accept anything else. If you ever want proof of this, Try to give kids really good, healthy, wonderful food and watch what happens. They don't want it. My kids, if you put gourmet macaroni and cheese in front of them, they might just throw up. And I don't mean that figuratively. It has to be the pasty white cardboard-tasting craft macaroni. It has to be that. The cheaper, the better. Because their, they, their minds have been trained, that's good macaroni and cheese. And I fear for the day that if we have so trained our hearts and minds to run after those, those things, and I'm not talking about macaroni and cheese, We've so trained ourselves, say, this is okay, that that someday we're going to go, I I don't want to do this anymore. I want to follow Jesus. And, And suddenly we'll find that our heart has been trapped. The difference 
is to listen to the truth. Live in the truth. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 21, but whoever lives by the truth. And that phrase there is, is it's, it's righteous living. It's living according to God's ways. It's trusting in him. It's not just doing right and not doing wrong. That's a part of it. But it's trusting in God and saying, God, your way is right. Your way is true. I'm listening and trusting in you. He says, whoever lives that way comes into the light. He says, God, I want to know what you think of me. Will it hurt? Will some negative things be pointed out? Absolutely. God's word does that. The Holy Spirit does that. But at the same time, it also shows us, look at what God has done for us. And I love to see that. And then he goes on and he says, so that it may be plainly or seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And, and this is a place I think the NIV kind of blew the translation. Because it's not just that it's done so that God can see. It's that it's done according to God's power. It's done through God. What he's saying is those who come into the light and the light shines on them, what is seen is not that they are so awesome, but that God is so awesome. He made them walk in the light. You see, the choices here is to go our own way, to run after the things we want to run after and after and find ourselves lost in that darkness and trapped in that, or to come into the light and realize that it was God who's been working in us all along. And he gets all the credit and all the glory. So what do we do with this? Well, the first and most obvious one that I, I want to make sure I don't skip over is if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, look at that phrase, for God so loved the world, and you put your name there. And you think about your rebellion. You think about your sin. You think about your actions in the past. And then you think about how John talks about the world. And you stop and you say, God loves me. He loves me. And you understand then that that offer of salvation is there for you. Please, I beg of you, don't leave this place without being overwhelmed with the fact that God loves you and sent his son to die for you. And if you have never come to believe in him, to trust in him as your savior, today's the day. The light is shining. The truth is here. Are you going to look to God's way of salvation? Or are you going to go, no, I got my own way and I'm good. But for all of us, we also need to see the world for what it is. And for some of us, we need the reminder that the world is lost and it is broken because we are running after the comfort of this world. And we're trying to find our satisfaction there. And we need to listen to how John talks about the world and say, wow, I don't want that. It's lost and it's broken. Some of us also, as we look at the world, need to remember how God feels about this world. He loves it. And when those people in the media say hurtful, awful things about Christians, our response is to love. When people condemn you for your faith, your response is to love. 
When that door opens on an elevator and there is somebody there that has made fun of you and puts you down for being a follower of Jesus Christ, you look them in the eye. You say hello. And you act kindly and loving toward them. Because that's what Jesus did. We need to see the world as God sees it. Thirdly, we need to come into the light. We need to let the light of Christ and the light of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, to shine into our thoughts and onto our actions. And fourth and final, don't miss this. God loves you. He loves you with a love that is beyond your comprehension but a love that you can see in Scripture and begin to see and to taste and it calls to you and it beckons for you to come. Trust in His Son. He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. Jesus Christ is the greatest and most loving gift ever given and there is salvation in no one else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if there is anyone here who's trying to make it through this world on their own. I pray that they would hear with love that this world is messed up beyond repair and that there is no hope, there is no comfort, there is no lasting joy there. And I pray that they would hear the words that you love them. And in this moment, the Spirit would apply those words to their heart and you would turn their eyes to Jesus that they may look and believe and say yes to their Savior, Jesus Christ. And for all of us, we are sent into this world. A world that we know in advance will not accept us, will not accept the gospel of Jesus Christ as a whole. And so as we navigate these waters of the funny looks, the snide comments, may we respond in love. A love that loves those people enough to continue to declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you so love this world. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.